This is Music You Can Find, a weekly discussion about some of the most interesting albums out recently. I'm Charlie DeMont Wildy, and it's the week of January 6th, 2020. This week I'm going to do the first of a two-part series looking back on the decade. We're still going to be doing a little bit of this kind of long listy stuff before I get back into the swing of the normal formatted episodes. I'd like to take a chance to look back at the 2010s. I've made a list of my 25 favorite albums of the last 10 years, and today we're going to be running through the 25 through 11 section of the list. Like my top 10 of the year that I did a a couple weeks back, this portion of the list will be in no order, and next week when we do the next part, that will also be in no order, except I will be picking a number one, a definitive album of the decade. Strap in, this is going to be a longer episode, but we're going to have a lot of fun, so let's, let's, let's get right to it. So the first album I want to talk about, a debut from the self-identified weird punk band Knots, whose first album, We Are Knots, came out in 2014. This has just been a terrific decade in general for female-fronted punk. There's been a movement full of great bands that I won't list off now because, you know, others are going to be turning up later. Knots really hit the right frequency for me, blending modern garage rock with chilly and abstract electronics. The songs have a lot of bounce and fire to them, just despite, even despite that chilliness. I just think this is my favorite version of this, this thing, this sound. It was one of my favorite albums of the year in 2014, and it was such a solid debut that every subsequent Knots release is day one listening for me. I've enjoyed each of them. And they, I, I think that they just kicked it off with such a splendid debut record. They are an unmissable band, in my opinion, and this debut album is a seminal piece of modern punk. The next pick was tough. It's, it sort of stands as the pick that represents everything St. Vincent has done this decade. I'm going with the 2011 album Strange Mercy, because it is the record that I probably enjoyed the most from her, and it's the one I kept coming back to the most and listening to over and over. It's the one with the most songs that I, I really remember and think about. Maybe this because this is the, the album that I saw her tour supporting when I saw her live uh, at, at this medium-sized venue in Salt Lake City. Maybe I was just at the right place in my life when this came out. Every St. Vincent album has been incredible. They've all been among the best albums of their respective years, I think. St. Vincent is probably the best, the most interesting, the most consistently high-quality musician in art pop of this generation. She's a stunningly talented guitar player, one of the most creative of this generation, probably one of the most creative musicians to ever pick up the instrument. The way that she approaches instrumentalism with the guitar is wholly unique. Every album presents a new evolution for her as an artist, sonically and thematically, and I think the foundation for that was all laid out here. I think all of the steps that she took, every every new reinvention of herself that we got on on each subsequent album throughout this decade, it, it all started this at this moment. This is where the journey really, truly starts. Her previous albums before this one are all really, really good too, but this was her first truly great record, and it's the one I still love every song on. St. Vincent is awesome. She's one of the best musicians of the era, and I think that she belongs on every list. So my pick is, is Strange Mercy by St. Vincent. The next album is 
pretty under the radar, but I kept wishing more people would talk about it, and it's John Wesley Coleman's Microwave Dreams from 2017. This album is so effortlessly enjoyable that I I really think just about anyone can get into it. John Wesley Coleman is a self-proclaimed trash poet who mixes a 90s slacker ethos with a millennial multi-hyphenate approach to creativity. He's a visual artist, a poet, a musician. He he's just kind of he he just 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 doing it. This album is sort of a garage punk singer-songwriter album with songs that are simple but always add a little extra flair or character to make each a surprise consistently. There's a song called Jesus Never Went to Junior High, and you get bonus points from me for something like that. It's so good. This was an album that I just found myself in the mood for over and over. I could just put this thing on and just listen straight through it at any moment. I really, really enjoy it, and I I highly recommend it. Microwave Dreams by John Wesley Coleman. He's a really cool musician, and I I think this is him at the peak of his, his artistry. And now, believe it or not... They Might Be Giants are here on the list, about four decades into their career with the album Nanobots, released in 2013. This is a band that I love a lot. As of the time of this recording, I've ranted about them at uh, two parties in the last week and a half or so, so I apologize to uh, anybody who gets cornered by me listening to They Might Be Giants and any people currently listening to this podcast. I think They Might Be Giants combined pop catchiness with the avant-garde as good or better than anyone ever, any musician ever. And even now, 22 albums into their discography, I think they are still producing creative, subversive, and fun music. They have a longevity that just should not be underestimated and it should not be undervalued. Nanobots is a bit darker on average than most of their music, though that dark undercurrent has has pretty much always been present. The songs here are moody without ever losing that quality that urges you to sing along with them. They are also using some of that micro-song structure that they first experimented with on Apollo 18 back in 92, which at the time was a way to utilize the brand new shuffle functionality on CDs, And now, in the context of the internet age and streaming and playlists, they imply a whole new conversation. They're they're doing something really radical, even even now, with this idea. I think this album is as good as as just about any they've done before. It's got songs that'll be in the rotation for years to come. They're they're as good as they've ever been. And and I, I, I guess I don't... I just can't believe they are still this good and still this interesting... I, I, I'm so stoked about it. I love They Might Be Giants. They're one of the best bands in American history. I love them so much. So my pick for this decade from them is going to be Nanobots. John Dwyer is one of the hardest working punks in history. I've already had the opportunity to talk about him a, a few times on this podcast. And for me, no best of the decade list would be complete without at least one Dwyer project on there. No matter how he spells OCs, almost any of the albums with that project could potentially be on this list. Memories of a Cut-Off Head is a wonderful piece of dream folk, but if I'm going to pick one project, I'd call my favorite of the 13 albums that they've released since 2010. It's the fiery, psychedelic blast of Garage Punk they released in 2016, the first of, of kind of two companion albums of that year, A Weird Exits. I love every single track on this album. It just rips. 
Dwyer knows how to blend the most exciting parts of every corner of rock and roll. It's aggressive without losing melody, jammy without losing focus, and at every moment, just pure, thrilling, psychedelic punk. This album rules so hard, and I'll keep being drawn back to it for years to come. It's a defining release of the decade for me. That's Oh Weird Exits by the OCs. Okay, so a lot of these picks are a little off-the-beaten-path records that really spoke to me, uh, maybe me personally, and maybe these are albums that I just would love to highlight because I think that they deserve a little bit more conversation. And I understand that like NPR or Stereo Gum are not going to have knots or maybe even the OCs on their lists, and I get that. But this one is one that I, I don't think is getting talked about, but I truly don't understand why. The album is Old Rock Hounds Never Die by Odetta Hartman, which came out in 2018. This album is so good and so interesting, and the fact that everyone else isn't raving about it kind of baffles me. This is an Americana record in the dustiest tradition, classic, traditionalist folk, and Western music. But the production and some of the songwriting utilize these creative modern flourishes to present the music with a completely new sound, a completely new atmosphere. There's, there's weird compressed vocal processing, jarring use of samples, and, and just all kinds of things that I, I've never heard in music like this. It's all so purposefully executed that it fits together into this amazing and complete package. I get the feeling that it's it's both the past reaching wildly and, and, and magically into the future and also modern folk reaching way further back than it usually does, back beyond New York City in the 60s, which is often the reference point for indie folk, and back to, like, Oklahoma in the 30s. In the end, we've got these country songs next to, like, dream pop ideas and, and just all kinds of stuff. This album was so exciting for me. I was just hooked on it the year it came out. And I re-listened to it, going back on this list, and it's it just still it, it surprises me every time I listen to it. It's a, I find it to be a shockingly great record. I think it's flat out the most interesting folk album of the decade. I, I'm completely in the bag for Odetta Hartman. I'll listen to everything she puts out. This has earned her a spot as an artist I will always have my eye on. I can't wait to see what she does next. Also, I want to say one of the best album covers of the decade also please look it up and take a peek so that's odetta hartman with old rock hounds never die completely amazing record all right another album that defined the decade for me personally is going to be dreams in the rat house the 2013 release from shannon and the clams there is a wealth of really great garage rock in the first decade of the 2000s and the first part of this decade it has, in my mind, kind of tapered as a lot of that corner of the alternative music scene has either softened into poppier indie garage or gotten wound into spindly, angular, post-punk-inspired sounds. But in 2013, Shannon and the Clams perfectly blended modern garage punk with doo-wop and surf rock with an album that still stands as one of the best of the era. It's packed from front to back with great songwriting, perfect production, and wonderful performances. It's charming and catchy, retro-inspired, and still thoroughly of its time. It's such a wonderful listen, very crowd-pleasing. Highly, highly recommend. You catch up with this one if you haven't heard it before. Shannon and the Clams, Dreams in the Rat House, 
I think pretty much anybody's going to listen to this and enjoy it. Great record. Okay, next up. Man, what a decade Vince Staples had. I think a lot of people became aware of him as just kind of a buddy of the Odd Future guys. He'd pop up here and there on features and stuff. In 2014, he released the EP Hell Can Wait. Kicks off with the song Fire. The first time I heard that ultra-compressed and blown-out drum fill, it blew my mind. I was on board with this guy. He spent the rest of the decade just growing in notoriety, experimenting and expanding his sound, and definitely cementing his position as one of the boldest, smartest, and exciting artists in hip-hop today. I've loved everything he's put out. I've gone with him on all his detours, but as of this recording, I don't think he's done better than his full-length debut from 2015, Summertime 06. Just an incredible rap record. His pointed lyricism, his confident, swaggering performance, that unique voice, and a wonderful selection of spooky, woozy, eerie, and blistering, hard-hitting beats. North North is just one of the best rap songs of this era. He's continued to prove himself as a gritty artist capable of exploring dark places both personally and in the world at large. But he also has this great sense of humor. He's effortlessly funny. He's awesome. I saw him open for Run the Jewels just a few weeks before this album came out. He was amazing. And then I got to see him headline a show last year that had JPEG Mafia opening. Vince Staples is awesome. This album is just about perfect. I really, really love it. Summertime 06. This has also been an incredible decade for jazz. Jazz has found its way back into the mainstream, and its influence is felt in music more now than it has been in a long time. There are a small handful of people you can point to as the definitive torchbearers of this trend. Robert Glasper, Thundercat, and my next pick, Kamazi Washington. He has been all over the place, performing on a host of the decade's best records and collaborating with many of the most important musicians working today. But his 2015 album, The Epic, might just be the most important jazz album to come out in my lifetime, maybe with the exception of Robert Glasper's Black Radio. This is a bold piece of work. It's about three hours long. It spans across many styles of jazz, incorporates soul, funk, gospel. It's grand, cosmic, massive, and still, it enjoyed a huge amount of crossover appeal. And Kamazi Washington ends the decade as maybe the most well-known jazz musician outside of jazz circles. This is unapologetically a jazz album. It's virtuosic, meticulous, and also spontaneous. And above all that, it's accessible and enjoyable. People are, people are listening to this. People know this. I probably have listened to his 2017 EP, Harmony of Difference, more often, but when it comes to the superior work, I think it's impossible to argue against the epic. It's a masterpiece. Kamazi Washington, this is an undeniably important work of art from this past 10 years. Another great jazz record that deserves praise is going to be my next pick, the album with the best title of the decade, The Imagined Savior, is far easier to paint. The stirring 2014 release from trumpet player Ambrose Akinmuzeri. I'll talk about this more a little later, probably as we get into my top 10 on the next episode, but this decade was significant for a lot of awful things, including a spate of murders of African Americans by police, 
which resulted in the Black Lives Matter movement. This had a huge impact on art and culture, and some of the music I found the most powerful engaged with these realities directly. This album is one of those pieces of art that came out at that time right when this conversation was kind of happening in our country. To reduce it to saying that this is an album that's just about BLM is is reductive and, and doesn't speak to everything going on here, but it's definitely an important piece of context here. What we have, though, is a piece of riveting modern jazz. This is an intensely personal record. It's self-produced. The album is structured around these four vocal performances that sort of frame everything, and, and they're so, it's all, the music is all built around those pieces. There's a lot of variation here, but it's, it's much more focused than the epic. These are very different records. This one is it's very enchanting and at the same time very challenging. I was fascinated by it and found myself drawn to it over and over. For whatever reason, this is maybe the one jazz record over any other this decade that really, really stuck with me, and it will define my listening when I look back at this time. So that's The Imagined Savior is Far Easier to Paint by Ambrose Akinmusari. One of the most important changes that happened in the music industry this decade has obviously been the rise of streaming as the primary method of distribution. I think one of the outcomes of that has been a new era of alternative music because more esoteric artists can easily find their audience. Genres have diversified more than ever before, the best example being hip-hop, which I think is not only better now than it's ever been, it's just been out and out the most creative and interesting genre of the decade. There are so many artists that deserve to be talked about here, but indie rapper Open Mike Eagle is going to be my pick at this moment, specifically his 2014 release, Dark Comedy. In the time since this release, Open Mike Eagle has been a regular in the podcast scene, he's been on comedy shows enough that it's important to remember he's a rapper who enjoys and is good at comedy, not the other way around. When this album came out, he wasn't a known quantity in the comedy scene necessarily. Hannibal Burris is on the album, but it's just because they were college buddies. He was just a very talented musician a rapper who openly drew influence from They Might Be Giants. He's an incredibly witty writer, weaving humor into his intensely personal lyrics. Open Mike Eagle brings a, a musicality and a melodicism to hip-hop that I don't think anyone can match. And not just like he's weaving in R&B and soul into rap or anything. This, this is hip-hop, unapologetic art rap, as one of his previous projects was called. But the songs, they just get stuck in my head. They're so worth singing along to. The musicality of them is, is just so upfront, so pleasing. He's put out a number of great releases this decade, and, and my pick of the bunch is this one right here, Dark Comedy. Highly recommended if this one flew under your radar earlier in the decade. Now, this next pick is another artist who I don't understand why they aren't talked about more. Hal Gelb was the leader of a revered but still underappreciated alt-country band called Giant Sand. I won't spend too much time going over their discography. You should do some digging there if you've never spent time with it. But I will spend time talking about that Hal Gelb, like some others on this list, has just had an incredible late career phase. He has aged into his sound so elegantly, and I think he's doing his best work yet incorporating cabaret jazz into his country and western sound. How Gelb is like if you were to combine Bruce Springsteen with Leonard Cohen, but raised in Arizona. 
there's a there's been great giant sand music even this decade. There was the incredible and beautiful solo album The Coincidentalist, but my pick for the best Howgal project of the decade is Future Standards. He released this in 2016 with the concept that being too tone deaf to effectively learn the jazz standards of of the crooner era, he wrote his own new jazz standards, future standards. The songs are so easygoing and so confident, truly perfect in themselves. It's a remarkable record. Haugelb has produced so much music, and so much of it is insanely good. I'm, I'm, I'm baffled, just baffled, that I don't hear more people fawning over him as much as I do. He's one of the most underrated figures in American music, maybe ever. Please check this album out. I think this is a really fun place to start. I, I love Haugelb, and, and I'm just going to keep talking about him if no one else is. This, this record's great. Future Standards, Haugelb. Now for a noisy pick, uh, I'd like to talk about the grindcore band Cloud Rat, who I love bringing up on this podcast anytime I can. For whatever reason, I latched onto them as my favorite in this power violence, grind violence corner of the music world, and I, I just kept going back to these two discography compilations that are on, Spo- on Spotify, Discography 1, Discography 2. So I don't have a huge attachment to any one release of theirs. I kind of absorbed it all in these big chunks and not as albums. But for the sake of choosing one, I'm going to go with Cleefoth. That's spelled Q-L-I-P-H-O-T-H. It's it's just a great distillation of what I, I like about them and this genre in general. It's, it's brutal, neck-breaking, fierce, political, and articulate, which I think the best power violence is. They use elements of noise, and I think their music is so, so well-produced which can be really hard for extreme music sometimes. A great grindcore band can still release a really flat grindcore record. And Cloud Rat, I think, not only writes and performs this music with excellence, but it's perfectly rendered as well. It, it sounds so good on, on record. This is, it's just so good, my favorite. So, so Cloud Rat's probably my favorite grindcore band, and I'm picking Cleefoth, or however you pronounce it, as the album I'm going to put on this slot on my list. My next pick... Okay, so this is another that maybe I wish got talked about more, but also it will never be another top 10, so, so I, I, I guess I get it. I want to talk about the self-titled debut from Fumasa Preta. Released in 2014, this album is wild. Led by Portuguese-Venezuelan drummer Alex Ferreira, this is an insane mix of tropicalia, Latin funk, psychedelic rock, and heavy metal. The sound is defiantly analog. It's so thick, so tangible. It sounds smoky. You, you, you feel like you can see the reverb when you're listening to it. Throughout this album, as loud and as fuzzy as it gets, the rhythms, they stay funky. The songs are so damn danceable. It's, it's a crazy thing. You can trace these influences back. You know, these elements are all familiar. You can see what's being put together here. But it also just sounds like nothing else. Certainly nothing else this decade. People who like Os Mutantes or Gal Costa or even like the Sonics or the Seeds or like, I don't know, Black Sabbath, you're just going to love this. It's so, so good. And I think there are a lot of people who should be super excited about, and this is another one I don't really know why more people 
aren't raving about it, which I just constantly want to do. So Fumasa Preta, they've had three albums, including one pretty recently at the end of last year that's that's also really, really great. All of their albums are worth listening to, but this first one, completely perfect. It's so, so good. Fumasa Preta, check it out. And my last pick for today is an album with some emotional significance for me, as well as many other music lovers. It's Black Star, the final album from David Bowie. David Bowie is my favorite artist of all time. He's my most listened to on Last FM, which tracks what I listen to on Spotify. David Bowie may have never achieved the importance of his brilliant 70s records between his glam albums and the Brian Eno collaborations and the Berlin Trilogy, you know, some of the, the, the greatest albums ever made. But more than maybe any other artist ever, he continued to innovate and had incredible albums just deep into his career. Heathen is a great record. The Last Day is a great record. But Black Star stands as one of the greatest works of art in this amazing artist's career. Bowie assembled an avant-garde jazz band to provide instrumentals for one of the boldest and most ambitious set of songs in his discography. He listed among his influences Kendrick Lamar, and just for Bowie, an almost 70-year-old man to say that is cool. This album is great, and of course, it's impossible to discuss this as a statement about legacy and aging and death without talking about it in the context of Bowie's death less than a week after the album released. As a farewell, it is a poignant and beautiful work. I was living in New York at the time this album came out, which is where David Bowie lived at that point in his life. So I was that day I was able to go to the street where his apartment was and see the people mourning and to see the tributes being laid at his door. And Bowie was such an important artist for reasons I could devote an entire episode to. He meant so much to so many different people. But for now, I'll, I'll leave it at this. Black Star is an incredible album. It's bold and challenging, and it faces death so directly in a way that will always move me. I'll always remember listening to it the next morning after he passed, just tr sitting there at work with my headphones on, just tr trying not to just openly cry at my desk. One of the most emotional moments I've had listening to music this decade, or maybe any other. R.I.P. David Bowie, Black Star, absolutely one of the greatest albums of the decade. So, that's my list for this episode. This is the 25 through 11 batch on my 25 favorite records of the 2010s. Next week, I will be doing my top 10. And then we're going to get back into the normal swing of things, I think. If there's any albums here that you missed when they came out or or passed you by for whatever reason, I definitely would recommend going and checking them out. If there's stuff here that you liked and forgot about, maybe this is a good time to, to remind yourself what you liked so much about it when you listened to it before. That's going to be it for this week. I'm not going to make a playlist of this one, probably, but if you want one, maybe we can. Just tweet at me or message me on Facebook. I'm Charlie DeMont Wildey. This is music you can find. Tune in next time.